If bringing up topics to your family like health insurance, the will, or just plain money scares you when it comes to doing some family financial planning, this episode is for you. Our special guest shares her real life experience and what exactly has worked for her. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. so much for being here. This is Jen Hemphill, your host. And if you were with us last week, I shared with you some tips on how to have the family talk. And today's conversation complements last week's episode very nicely. And honestly, I did not plan this. I'm a planner, but this just happened to line up nicely. It just worked out that way. What I love about this conversation that you are about to hear is that our guest isn't an expert on how to talk financial planning with your family. She's following her instincts. There is a lot of great nuggets in today's conversation, but be sure to pay close attention when she shares with us how empathy has played a significant role in making this financial planning conversation easier. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Leanne Alfaro. She tells stories about what's next in the world of technology, business, and entrepreneurship. She's in a New York City journalist turned multi-hyphenate, and she is especially passionate about exploring the Latino influence in the world of business. Let's go meet Leanne. Welcome, Leanne. It has been so nice to connect with you. Finally, as I had mentioned before, I had found out about you through a mutual friend, and I was just very, very impressed with what you did, how you carried yourself. And I'm like, wait, she looks like she's been doing this forever. <laughs> so welcome. I'm really excited about this conversation. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to speak with you, Jen. And obviously speaking with somebody who's been doing this kind of work, telling money stories for a very long time, I think that there's just a very natural connection between our lines of work. So thanks so much for reaching out. Of course. Well, let's start with taking us back in time to your upbringing. Tell us a little bit about your experiences, the lessons maybe that you came across around money, something that you saw, you heard, experienced? Yeah, of course. And I know you talk a lot about money stories. So that definitely caused me to take another deep dive and say like, okay, I've talked about these things before, but truly what are the things that I've taken away from my upbringing? So I grew up on the Northwest side of Chicago in a neighborhood called Hermosa. It's west of uh, Humble Park neighborhood, which is known for the Pasea Boricua and 
just very known for its Puerto Rican community. I lived in a mostly Mexican community, mostly working class, lower income. My parents were immigrants from Mexico, from a small towns around Guadalajara. And just in a very modest upbringing, I remember that my mom, who was a teacher in Mexico, came here and she was very much in a mindset where it's like, we need to conserve, we need to save because she knew she didn't come prepared to fully take on the workforce and she needed to learn a new language. Meanwhile, my dad was more of the risk taker. He was very entrepreneurial in mindset. He would take risks. So even when he first moved to Chicago, he was working in the construction business. Even then, once he started learning skills, he's like, okay, how can I use these for while I'm not working for someone else? How can I get my own gigs, my own employment? So he was always thinking in that like Rubik's Cube mindset, like there has to be a solution, entrepreneurial mindset. Meanwhile, my mom was the person who would walk an extra mile or two to get the limones for 50 cents cheaper. So it was kind of a balance and like a tug and a pull. My dad being like, let's take risks. Let's do entrepreneurship. Let's dive into new things. And my mom being like, let's take a look at line by line, our finances. We're a little in the red this month. And I remember growing up, there were a bit of tension between my parents because of this. But I think it was a healthy, now that I'm an adult, I see that it's it for the knowledge that they had. It was a healthy tension because when you don't have all of the roadmap and the blueprint for the way that the financial system works, having that like curiosity about how do we do things differently and having that also like, let's budget and be conservative about our money was a healthy balance between the two. And would you say that now as an adult, what has transferred more to you in terms of the influence from your parents, the riskiness from your dad and, you know, the adventure or more of let's go save this money, we'll go to this place and save X amount of money on this item. What do you think has transferred most to you? Yeah, it's interesting because I think I've done both during different stages of my life. Going to New York right after graduating from college with still student debt in my bank account and going for a minimum wage job because I really wanted to give journalism an honest shot. And I was like, I need to do this in the number one city market. That was definitely risky. That could have gone so many ways, but I was very resourceful when I moved to New York, looking for the cheapest rent, willing to live in New Jersey in order to make it work and then doing side gigs while I was there. So I very much took on my dad's, you know, there's more than one solution. Like you don't have to have one income stream. But I think I definitely had my mom's conservativeness about the way that I spent because it was my situation that lent itself to me. Like I had to be flexible in order to make it work for the first few years in such an expensive city like New York. I love that. They both came to you at different times, probably like the right timing <laughs> and everything. Yeah, yeah. I think that that was like good fundamentals. And then the next step has been like, okay, now let's learn about how we can make the money work truly work for us using the system in place and using all the tools that they weren't aware about. Absolutely. And one of the things that you have shared with me is something that you're doing now that you're not in New York, you're back in Chicago, and something that you've been doing or have started to work on is financial planning with your family. So can you tell us a little about that and how did that start? 
Yeah. I mean, I think I always knew that at some point I needed to come in and check in on the fam and that we needed a plan together. And I think when I was in New York, occasionally I would help where needed, but I was lucky enough that I didn't have to support my parents while trying to make it in New York. So coming back to Chicago, I knew was always in the cards. And I think with the pandemic and seeing that things were a little bit unstable in the world, I was like, I think this is a good time to just like do some introspection, really figure out as somebody who, I mean, I do have like this mindset where I want to succeed for myself, but I also want to succeed for my family. And so I knew that that was a big value to me. And I was like, this is a great time to start having a little bit harder conversations that we'd brought up earlier. And we'd bring up in spurts, like every time I'd come to Chicago, like, for example, with my dad, his track mind is like, Leanne, we need to invest more in real estate. We have two properties here in Chicago. But he's like, we could be doing more. And I'm like, I agree. I think let's talk about what the plan for the current properties look like. We also are planning for properties in Mexico for in our hometowns. And let's talk about like what that looks like in terms of roles and responsibilities and ownership. So those are the kind of conversations that we started having on one end. But the other end is like, oh, family, since I left, I started investing these last seven years. And wouldn't it be cool if we got mom and dad to start investing too? And my brother. And it's funny because I look to my brother and he's much more riskier in his investments. And I think that there's a lot that I admire about the risk, the way that he goes straight into risk, but also I think a little bit of balancing that needs to be done there too. But I think that it's a nice gradient and like to get to know them and figure out what is my parents' risk tolerance when it comes to investing and how can we get them to start thinking about that in our long-term plan. Instead of avoiding the fact that I know that my parents will get into their elder age, talking about it and opening the room for discussion, but I realize that there's a lot of emotions tied to it. But I think once we've been able to like, we're starting to get past the emotions so we can start talking about what will caretaking look like. I would love for my parents to know what their caretaking will look like, because I will probably maybe making the financial contribution towards that. And also, where is our home, our home that we get together for special moments in the holidays? Currently, for example, we have properties, but it's not homes like we live in a flat and we rent out the other units. So we've still lived very conservatively. And now it's like, how do we start to plan for a future where we have a home to live together to start to think about ways to thrive way into my parents' elder age and when I grow up even older as well? I want to applaud that you all are doing this because, you know, having these first having a conversation around money, a lot of people run away from, right? It's very Mm -hmm. tough. Second, to have this conversation as a family, and I'm just not talking about your partner. I'm talking about parents, siblings, all that, and what you all are planning for the future. That's not very common, especially in our community. I think it's not as common. And I'm curious to know who initiated this conversation. I know you mentioned that your dad started talking to you about the properties that you all have. Was it you that initiated the conversation? Was it your dad? I'm just curious how this came about. My dad has always been real estate minded and just like risk minded too. But I think for the real estate part, he has always been in that track. So I definitely owe it to him. I think I had a little bit of catching up to do with real estate and I still do and I'm learning as I go. But 
I think on that end, my dad has always been like keen on doing that. And I think real estate investing is a bit more common form to do it in the Latino community because we see homeownership as something that's not as foreign to us and something where it's just like, oh yeah, of course, like we can own part of the property, rent out the others, make sense. I think what I was able to bring to the table is start talking about, oh, we have these properties. What's the long-term plan? What's the long-term plan? Because especially with the pandemic, as you may have noticed with a lot of mom and pop operations, and not even operations, just like property investments, we had this whole moratorium on evictions, which we don't want anyone to get evicted. But what that meant is that people were given the grace period of not having to pay rent for the last few years. So in that process, there was no coverage for a lot of small, like my parents Mm -hmm. owning property. And so there were situations where people didn't pay And we realized like we weren't prepared for that. We weren't prepared to not receive rent for like one and a half to two years. So now we're talking about, okay, what is the long-term plan for property? What does transfer of property look like? And then we also have things we're trying to build in another country. So just walking and talking through all of that, I think my dad has definitely steered the conversation, but there were moments during the pandemic where I needed to go and do research and talk to some of my friends because I'm like, I'm not in the real estate space. I'm in New York, barely affording my rent. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. We're trying to look for cheaper rent always. Like that's the name of the game because real estate's very expensive over there. So I would help and do research, but my dad definitely led the conversation on real estate. Meanwhile, I've been able to bring more conversations on like, okay, let's talk about long-term plans. Let's talk about health insurance. Believe it or not, health insurance has been a big touch point for us because I feel like my dad is always so focused on the future that sometimes it's just like we forgot about the present and taking care Mm. of ourselves. And I was like, we need to talk about health insurance and just taking care of them long-term and investing. And you mentioned at one point that some parts of the conversation were emotional. What are some of the topics that were a little tricky to maneuver around as a family? Would you care to share that? Yeah, I think it's still tricky. I don't think it ever will stop being tricky. I think that there's a lot of ego and pride involved. And I think it comes from both sides, honestly, right? Because it's the dynamic between my parents and I is like, I respect my parents. I appreciate everything that they've done coming to this country, giving me the opportunity and education that they have. And so I don't ever want to make them feel like I'm speaking down to them. Like I see them eye to eye and I see them as very valuable partners in this and my family, but very valuable partners in what it is that we're trying to build. But I think that sometimes when we disagree on ways to move forward it can be like, oh, well, you don't respect me. Mm. That's the assumption that's made because of that pre-existing dynamic dynamic that still exists. So I think the way to talk about that, that I think has kind of caught them off guard is kind of like using some of my techniques I've learned in therapy and be like, why do you feel that way? What do you think I'm trying to do here? Here's what my intent is. And it's caught them a little off guard because they're just like not used to that. They're like, what do you mean? What this you, is not Leanne. How does this Where's... make me feel? <laughs> now I put on my therapist hat, but it, because it's like, you know, my parents never got therapy. So I realized that it's just like, I'm not trying to be a therapist to my parents. However, I think introducing the empathy, leading with empathy and introducing the conversations around feelings helps me get insight into 
oh, why is it that they feel this way? And my mom has been in particular very open and I can relate to a lot of the ways that she feels. It's a lot of fear actually also. And a lot of what if I mess up? What if I mess something up for all of us? And so those are things that I can absolutely relate to as a first generation child of immigrants. And I say child, I'm an adult now, but it's like, sometimes you're just like, you have that child feeling where it's like, oh no, if I do something wrong, then it's all going to be on me. The weight's all on my shoulders. And that's been like a feeling that I've been trying to overcome myself that I realize that that's like my journey where it's just like, sometimes you think as a first generation person, you're all alone and the weight of your family and their financial success is on your shoulders. And I've definitely felt that before. And it is real. However, as real as it is, it's also as real as we make it. And obviously, it's a privilege for me to say this. But a lot of us that are in Latino communities that really are a community, that is one of our superpowers. Like, why do tandas exist as, you know, as skeptical as we may be of the sometimes the strategy there, but like, it's because people are willing to throw down for others in their community. And it's just like, I think that sometimes we get in this mindset, which is very much promoted by America and uh, capitalist America, that it's like, it's all on us. It's individualist, but not only are we taking care of us, we're taking care of our family. And so we can get really underwater in that. And so something that I've been doing for myself is realizing, actually, I'm a part of this community. And if I lean into it, we can all work together. My parents aren't helpless. They are helpful. And I am helpful to them as well. So it's, I think, also just redefining the terms of my relationship with them financially and our terms of like our partnership has also helped. A lot of powerful nuggets there. For those listening, notice how Leanne, or your first gen, right? And how she's also felt a weight on the shoulders. And that is just so common amongst first gen Latinos, Latinx, Latine. And I've noticed that. I observed that. And I just want to just acknowledge you all that you aren't alone. And, and Leanne, one of the things that you mentioned, you put your therapist hat, if you will. But therapy, there's definitely some skills that you can learn from therapy that you apply. You can apply to your daily life. Like some of those questions that you asked your parents or how to ask those questions that are in a gentle in non-judgmental way, because it's all about how we communicate. So can you tell us for someone that's listening right now, Leanne, that they want to have this conversation with a family and maybe they've tried having this financial conversation with their parents, siblings, and so forth, but it hasn't gone well. <laughs> so maybe can you share with us a little bit of some questions that are more quote unquote, gentle or that will open up that conversation and not have it be so straining. I mean, it's going to be a little fearful at first, right? It's going to be a little skeptical and all that. But could you talk to us or take us through what has worked for you? Yeah, I think what has worked for me is not approaching my parents like we're going to have a business meeting. I think that it can make somebody put their gates up like immediately. If you show up with a stack of papers, and the thing is, I'm a very structured person. So this is very much in my persona <laughs> to be like, I'm going to send a calendar invite. I'm going to show up with these notes and a portfolio of, they're your family. You can't approach business with them in the same way that you would with someone you don't know. And so leading with empathy means creating an environment that feels comfortable to them. So for example, when we're going to have financial conversations, I invite my parents over and I'm like, I'm cooking for you, you know, like just like you did for me, or I'm ordering pizza. And having a primer where we just talk, just 
let them let their guard down, talk about your week. And then being like, hey, so how are you feeling about this conversation? Like what's on your mind? Just letting them feel like they have the floor and you're not trying to impose your agenda on them is super powerful. And also it gives you a read on like where their head's at, you know, like if they had a really rough week or something went wrong financially, like for my dad, sometimes gigs fall through. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I want to be softer in my approach, or maybe do we postpone this talk? Maybe it doesn't need to happen today. So I think just knowing where they're at helps a lot. And then once we start, for example, laying out the paperwork, or we start talking about an issue, if we come into a roadblock where we disagree, where I'm just like, hey, dad, like we should start you on this, for example, investing account. And he's just like, what's it going to do for me? He's like, I'm almost at retirement age. It's not going to do much. I'm like, well, you'll learn how it works. And also I'm investing. So hopefully that money will help us down the road. And then like, I think sparking curiosity is probably the biggest point rather than like telling him all the takeaways and just be like, Hey dad, this is how much, how much I had when I started. This is how much I have now. This is my portfolio. This is what, and he's like, how did you do that? What goes into the sauce? And I think like not trying to figure it out all at once because it's not a one-time sit-down conversation is like super healthy because not only does it feel good, you feel like you've developed another layer of the relationship with your parents, but you're slowly nudging the ball. Like for example, I'm thinking like if I'm thinking of making a financial decision that's going to that might catch my parents off guard or like I just want to let them know. I let them know way ahead because then I can be, they can be like, no way. No way. Like it happens. I think my biggest financial decision to this point has been, I mean, what I talk about the most has been going to New York, right? But just letting them know ahead. And now I have this track record of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I keep repeating it. And, you know, even if they don't like the idea, (laughs) I think we can get a little bit closer to, oh, you know, a little bit of sparking curiosity. Why did you do that? Why are you investing in crypto? Why? Versus just ending at the conversation at like, we agree to disagree. I think that that's probably one of the most beneficial things. Even if we disagree, what's there? Like there's been decisions that my dad has made that I disagreed with where he buys things, probably a little bit of an overshare, but buys things for homes that he's going to remodel in the future that he doesn't currently own. We have a jacuzzi sitting in the back in our backyard for no home that we own. And I'm like, dad, what is this jacuzzi? Like we're in Chicago. I mean, we are in the dead of winter for probably six months a year. What's going on here? And he's like, we're going to have it. And so that is my dad's way of manifesting. Mm. Like he Mm -hmm. buys things. And sometimes we need to temper that. Sometimes I'm just like, you know, dad, the math ain't mathing. Like, why do we have all this stuff that we're buying and hoarding for all these houses? I think that sometimes you realize like how their head works around money, you know, and that's charming in its own way. You know, he's just like, he really believes he's going to do this. And the way to set the goal for himself is, you know, he's going to buy, I'll worry about the house later. I'm going to buy the thing (laughs) and make sure I have them for when I have the house. And that's his way of doing it. Now you mentioned you have talked to your parents about his way of investing has been real estate and that, like you said, it's very, very common in our community and that he's been hesitant in terms of investing like in a Roth or something like that or the stock market. I'm curious to know, has he started? Is he closer or where is he at? We made him an account. (laughs) Oh, progress. We made him an account. So that is progress because I think it was much harder to have this conversation when I was miles away. Like, thousands of miles away. I think being in person has been crucial 
because the conversations from when I was far away, it's just much harder to have those intimate moments and to have that environment. And I think it's so beautiful because I've gotten to know my parents in a whole new way. Absolutely. And there's so much respect there. And I think if anyone's thinking about moving back home, like, I don't know if I'll stay in Chicago forever. Chicago will always be home. And I have like, it is one of my homes, but the way I see it, I'm just like, I don't know, you know, where my career will take me physically. But I knew that this is a place that I wanted to invest in. And I knew I wanted to give back to my community. And I knew I wanted to reestablish a relationship with my family. So if you're thinking, if you've been a few years away from home and you're thinking like, I want to go back home, but I don't know if I want to stay, I want to tell you that that's okay. Because I'm getting so many benefits out of having these one-on-one contact with my parents. And time is so precious. It's just like, I'm never going to have my parents in the physical and the health state that I do today. And because I value family a lot, that matters a lot to me. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Now I wanted to talk briefly about it because I dived into more into that topic, but it was just so many good things and more questions came up to me. Now I'm curious in terms of your profession. So your career has been in journalism. You have followed the evolution in our community in media. And I know we discussed offline how much in the past several years we have seen online people in our community talking about money, helping our community, whether bloggers, podcasters, influencers, just helping our community become more financially literate. So if you look back upon the media that you covered in the past, that's maybe related to money, do you think that this has been an influence or what do you think caused this shift? Is it because the millennials were like, we're taking, (laughs) we're taking charge now? (laughs) What do you think really propelled this? Because it was just, it felt like from one day to another, it just boom. All these people are, I'm like, what happened? Where have you been? <laughs> the Latinos that are talking money weren't talking money when I started. I'm like, where have you all been? So I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, when I started reporting for national mass media about money in 2015, it was very hard to pitch stories about Latinos and money. And I did pitch a lot. <laughs> and I think the reason that I wanted to pitch these stories is because I didn't see them represented in mass media. I felt like we had a lot of white men that we would report on on rotation and then start from the top again. And so I was just like, we need more representation because I look in my community, like where I'm from in Chicago and I turn left and right. And I see so many small business owners. Chicago is the home of one of the biggest corridors, small owned Latinx, specifically Mexican business and La Villita. The other one would be Bergen Line in New Jersey, which I also had the pleasure of living in. So I knew that there was this business creation. I didn't see it represented. And I think a big missing link was the data. We didn't have the data with which to talk about our GDP, our purchasing power, how many businesses we create, the fact that we're resilient, that we're resourceful. We hadn't had those studies funded in order to do that research. And in regards to like what the cultural shift is that caused that, I don't know that it's necessarily millennials. But I wonder, because I don't know, that if it has to do with the fact that the environment that we grew up in. We grew up in an era where it was just like really tough. And honestly, for Gen Z, I'm not sure I can say much different. But for millennials, it was really tough. There were people that graduated into a job market during recession. There was like 9-11, which caused a ripple effect across the economy. It is very known at this point that there were several banks that had to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to settle lawsuits 
for discrimination against black and brown communities. And so I think it was just like a difficult time and a time where we really had to question our role in the economy and and the context and like our institutions working for us or against us. And the studies had happened before the pandemic. I remember Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Institute, like Latino Donor Collaborative, like they started reporting on like business progression and GDP ahead of then. But the pandemic was really like a breaking point where it was just, okay, now we're seeing everything come apart at the seams with the most amount of intensity. And I think that Gen Z will actually be affected by this a lot because I'm talking about how millennials grew up and how that was unstable. The pandemic was wild. I mean, we had Black women and then Latino women leaving the workforce at the highest rates, not often not by choice. We had a lot of caretaker issues and and realizing that we don't have everything in our infrastructure to really support caretakers and women who are mothers. We also had businesses that couldn't get access to bank loans or PPP when they first came out. It was a lot of structural issues that were like, okay, if the society isn't ready, if the infrastructure of society isn't ready to help people of color, we really need to help ourselves and we really need to help each other get to the baseline of understanding the system so we know how to work it and how to work our money, even if we don't make a six-figure salary a year or, or something that's baseline for where we live. So I think that it's been a series of circumstances and events that have really made us more aware and woken us up to the fact that we need to have our backs and have each other's backs because the way that the structure works in society, it has not always had our backs. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that you shared all of that because it makes sense. And however it came to be, I'm grateful for it, even though we've been in a pandemic, we've had to deal with it. But I know that I'm just grateful just seeing more Latinos represented in terms of just talking about money, because all we need is just that. Ready to transform your financial life with ease and confidence? Discover the Her Dinero Matters Money Planner, your ultimate digital tool for simplifying money management with its unique blend of psychological insights and practical budgeting tools. This planner is not just about tracking expenses, but about rewriting your money story. Whether you're aiming for big financial goals or everyday financial wellness, this planner is your personalized guide to simplify your money management and elevate your confidence. Download your copy today by visiting jenhemphill.com forward slash planner for more details and even get a sneak peek inside. Use the code REINA at checkout for 10% off. Kick or that permission to speak, if you will. And I don't know if permission is the correct word because you shouldn't need permission. You should just feel free to speak, right? But I think seeing more Latinos talk about money allows other Latinos, oh, it's okay, right? It gives you that level of comfort to speak freely about money. So I'm really, really thankful for it. And thank you so much, Leanne, for sharing, just giving us all that goodness in terms of your family dynamics, the conversations you've had, the challenges, what has worked for you, and as well as your experience and expertise in media as a journalist, So thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm so grateful that you came on this podcast. Thanks, Jen. I'm really grateful to be invited to the podcast. And this is such a like wholesome conversation. So I really appreciate that.
That was such a great conversation with Leanne. Don't you agree? I mentioned at the beginning that she listened to her instincts as to how to approach financial planning conversation with her parents. I love that because if you've been with me for a while, you've most likely have heard me say on this podcast to trust your gut. You know what is best for you and your household. She was also in tune with what they said, what her parents said, and their reactions. And that is just really, really important in making this conversation so much easier and not so nerve-wracking. You can connect with Leanne at her Instagram account, which is at Moneda Moves, and I will be sure to link that up in the show notes. Now, I encourage you that if you haven't listened to last week's episode, which is episode 328, that you do so because it is a great compliment, as I mentioned, to this one. Last week's episode gives you some how-to, some tips, and today's conversation with Leanne gives you some insight as to what she did and what worked. So it's last week's episode is more of the tips, and this week's episode is more of a real-life example. From both episodes, take what serves you. Again, trust your instincts. You know what's best, and just leave the rest. Maybe at a later time in life, You'll listen to the episodes again and implement something else that maybe will serve you at that moment, at that time in your life. But for now, trust your instincts. You don't have to do all the things. Just trust what serves you and leave the rest. Now, if having a financial planning conversation with your family still kind of scares you, it's okay. Maybe you listened to these past two episodes and you are inspired, but it's okay to still be scared. If this is you, grab my daily dinero ritual, which will teach you what actions you need to take to make sure your money confidence goes from a zero to a 10, and it is free. You can grab it at jenhempill.com forward slash ritual. That is jenhempill.com forward slash ritual. And if you are driving, you can always find the link in today's show notes. Next week, we will be talking to Cindy Suniga Sanchez. You may know her on Instagram as Zero Based Budget. We will be discussing overcoming debt and achieving financial freedom. Don't miss that one. Bueno, pues, that is everything. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash three. 29. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.